find your third eye. This is Third Eye High Podcast. We deal with high consciousness, lots of culture. And I'm your host, JSA. And I'm prepared to shine my light your way to help find light switch to death life. As we continue on with the book report series, I got a powerful book today for you guys. A very powerful book that I encourage everyone to add to your life. So what we do with the uh, book report series, I just highlight the key uh, pivotal books in so-called American history, but it's really world history, right? Because when you speak of these indigenous people that are indigenous to all the continents, you're speaking about them. And it minimizes the so-called black history, it's called American history when it's really global history. Because you can't speak about the history of the world in fact, it's going to expand your palate to give you some of this literature that maybe you haven't been predisposed and my, my uh, premise of this is to just expand your perspective is to show you that you are part of this larger conversation and never to minimize your answers for accomplishments for your role, right? Because we are descendants of the which means we have to uncover. So I'm not a historian, right? We heard this story. I'm more like an owl, right? So we're going to get into this powerful, powerful book. Uh, today's book I want to add to your lexicon, to your mental library, How to Hide how to Hide an Empire, The History of the Greater United States by Daniel Emmawar. How to Hide an Empire. The title alone is intriguing. The title alone has you like, wait a minute. How to Hide an Empire? I thought all the empires fell. Well, what's going on with that? And then some of my people raise an eyebrow. I refer to my brother, Peace Emperor, and I bring you of a higher vibration. A lot of folks don't know how to take that. Some sisters. I don't call them queens because the queen is just like the, the king's uh, mistress, right? Thinking he was, he was his side piece. So when I refer to a sister as an empress, I'm raising you up above that to the goddesshood. Now, some sisters relate to it when they hear it, and some stop like a deer in headlights. Like, wait a minute, because when you speak, to your people of a higher vibration. You force them to raise their vibration to maintain that vibration. Look at all the drill rap music, right? Now, if you inserted, I'ma shoot my brother, I'ma shoot this emperor, I'ma shoot this king, it don't sound like right. When I shoot this nigga, see, I deduce you to something like this. And it's easy to call upon that affirmation. Try it. Just try it. Try that. Speak higher of your brother. Give them a higher title. And their higher self is going to inspire It's a little esoteric science on the y'all. But in today's fashion, this is a powerful bill and it also ties into what's the prophet Noble Dwali teach me upon. And this is our holy holy alone. I practice all of the religions, but I am a student of Islam. And Islam simply just means I, self, law, and 
know, you end up with you with the So now, today is our holy day, right? Because on sixth day, God created man, right? We're dealing with Venus, that planet of love that corresponds with the heart chakra. And the prophet Noah Ali gave us those five principles. Those five principal shots, what are those principles? Shot of love, truth, peace, freedom, justice. So now, this powerful book actually uh, speaks to the history of our people as well. And it's all mixed together because once they start to separate the names and people and the empires, it turns into something that it's hard for you to pinpoint and to connect yourself to. So now, there was a story that came out not too long ago, a few weeks ago, and everyone was up in arms when we heard about the story. And the story was, Japan finds 7,000 new islands. <laughs> I laughed for about 20 minutes when they said Japan finds 7,000 new islands. And the reason I laughed because, remember, I qualified with scholarship. I read this book, How to Hide an Empire. And I'm like, they didn't find those islands. <laughs> they already knew of them. They must just be making it public to the masses. See, this is why uh, that statement rings true. If you want to hide something from our people, you put it in the book. I'm encouraging us, man, especially in this times and the age of information. It's not really so much the age of um, uh, indoctrinating ourselves with so much technology. We have to keep this analog alive in terms of a lot of people put us what you hear to write these books, man. Years and years of their lives doing research. So one day you can just grab it off the shelf and you have access to all that knowledge. See, a lot of times you can't find this shit on the internet because the internet is swarmed with powerful information and also a lot of misinformation. But the, the key part about books is a bibliography, it gets reference points where you can cross reference the writer, right? So you're not going to follow him and say, Well, everything is absolute. It's up to you to do your independent study to cross reference. So now, when you pass that jewel on something else, you can validate it. And that's, that's a little bit, but I want to speak on that story before I get into the book about Japan and its <laughs> discovery of these seven islands. When if you really went further into the article, they found 14,000 <laughs> But as I said, it's all going to this empire that we're speaking. Because Japan is the only land that still has a ruler called an emperor. Right? They don't have a president. They have an emperor. Which speaks of the old empire. But now when we're talking about the old empire, upon the prophet Noah to Ali, we gotta speak of the Moorish Empire because it's one and the same. We're gonna go into this because remember, I don't just, you know, try to push an ideology on you. I, I push it so there's no argument. I quote, <laughs> I qualify with scholarship so there's no argument. It's just So now, let's take a look at this discovery of that 10,000 islands Japan has discovered 7,000 new islands. The country's number of islands has doubled, with over 14,000 now included in its map. Now, look at how they, they, they show us the world with these oldest maps. If you look at a lot of the older maps, it will show you remnants of the empires, which 
got to go back further. And in this book, they have no maps. Now, I wish for this particular episode, I might revisit it, that I could have did a, a visual uh, episode of the podcast. Because you've got to see the pictures of these maps. Because it's going to it's gonna snap into your mind and say, oh, shit, now it's all So they show you this tiny little island in Japan, right? Now, if Japan looks like a tiny island, how is it that they uncovered 14,000 other islands? Because we're talking about this Atlantis, we're talking about this, this, this uh, these land masses that allegedly sunk or were taken out of the production of the maps of the future. So it's like it's not like they didn't know it was there. They just stopped promoting it to the masses. Let's go into this article. In an age of high-tech AI satellites, it often feels like there is nothing left for us to discover. The days when a sailor could voyage across the seas and bump into a whole new continent they've never seen before might might be long gone. But Japan's recent discovery, recent discovery, kind of like a <laughs> Columbus's recent discovery. <laughs> go back into uh the earlier uh, part of the book report series on the podcast, subscribe to the Third Eye High podcast on all streaming platforms. But I cover a book, uh, Columbus's Quest to Find Jerusalem, powerful book, and it speaks of <laughs> his alleged discovery. But let's be clear: the geospatial, uh, the geospatial information authority of Japan recently revealed an updated map of the nation, which showed 7,000 new islands added to its region. That increased the number of islands Japan has from 6,852 to 14,125. What? That's an empire in itself. How to hide an empire? Remember that 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 uh the, the bombing Hiroshima, Nagasaki, all of that stuff is key because somebody was trying to overthrow the empire. I mean, they tried to say he was warring with the United States. That was all cat. They waged war on them because they was trying to carve an empire of ancestors. And when you look at the oldest people in Japan, you're going to find melanated people that try to cover this because all of this stuff is connected to us, guys. We are one and the same. We're talking about cousins here. So how exactly do you notice thousands and thousands of islands? Well, it's easier to do than you think. The last mapping of the country was conducted by the Japanese Coast Guard back in 1987. Key, at the time, they decided to leave out any island that didn't have a circumference of over 100 meters. Plus, the technology they used wasn't great at distinguishing between groups of small islands and large standalone islands, which led to thousands of islands not being formally recorded. In addition to those, many more islands have popped up over the years following volcanic activity in the region. The revised map used the UN Convention of the Law of Seas definition of what counts as an island. The convention outlines that an island is a naturally formed area of land surrounded by water, which is above water at high tide. This means that the previously uh, dismissed large sand banks are also considered to be islands now. Whether you'll actually, whether you'll actually be able to visit 
the reason is discovered the island remains distinct. The news about the island comes as the tensions between Japan and China continue to rise over the sovereignty of a group of uninhabited islands in the East China Sea. All of this is important. That, that war with Ukraine, Russia, all of that is important because it, it's about reestablishing empire. And people are making their claims to state people's land. See, you notice why the U.S. is mining uh, Ukraine's business? Why are you sending all this aid? Why are you sending all this money? Why, why, why does being called president just keep giving these niggas a blank check? And, and they're all frowning upon Russia. All of this is key because, remember, Japan was fighting with Russia. There was a war called the Russo-Japan War in 1905 that many of us refused to fight in that war because U.S. was trying to be an ally, right? Always trying to get another people's business and shit. But many of uh, the, the activists and protesters or, you know, the nationalists or the people fighting for revolution at the time, we were against these wars. So now, let's qualify. Continuing on, guys, all of this stuff is going to come full circle. So now, there were Moors of Japan. What am I talking about? Moors in Japan. Look to the prophet who you are See, when I speak of the term Moors, most people would just uh, connect that to a particular club or temple. Oh, that's those group of people that think they're so-and-so and so-and-so. When we're talking of a bad bloodline that spans all the continents. But for this sake of conversation, we're speaking of Japan, but these thousands of islands they found, and it all connects to this book that we're uh, reviewing, How to Hide an Empire, the history of the greater United States. So the Moors in Japan, the Moors, the uh, original Japanese, about 35,000 BC, a group of African Mongolioids, later known as the Jomon. The Jomon took this route and entered Japan. They became the first humans to inhabit the Japanese islands. Tell me just discover these islands. So what happened to all the people on these abandoned islands? They came to America. They came to other places. Scattered around all of the earth. We are Asiatic race. Don't confuse the term. Because when you say Asiatic, you start to think, oh, the people with slanty eyes. This, these features later morphed because you got a lot of our people still born that have that uh, trait in their genes. But you got to understand, the older you go back to the history of Japan, you're going to find out people. So this, this, this group of people that were Moors in Japan, the first people to settle in the islands, are called the Jomon people. The Jomon people, known to us as the Anu, the Anu, would later follow and I wish I could show you these pictures, man. They look like my grandparents, man. <laughs> like, this is crazy. Oddly, Indians were not part of this group. Today, their genes can still be found in 40% of the modern Japanese. That's why you see that a lot of the Japanese people, they got rhythm, right? They, they, could, they could take the hip hop like motherfuckers. Sisters, you see with, with, with braids. You see some people in Japan, they got locks. They, they're not trying to, uh, you know, be a culture vulture, they're tapping into their ancient history. 
as I said, a lot of Japanese people love hip hop. A lot of the Japanese women love the melanated uh, brothers. Again, they're not trying to ride away. They weren't part of it. In fact, <laughs> salute to my, my, my former empress, you know, Japanese sister, beautiful sister. She has a lot of rhythm and she loves hip hop. And in fact, she's like, you know, she loves melanated men. She didn't want to date any other race other than, and she wasn't trying to include herself in something. She was tapping into something that was already in her bloodline. And it's crazy. I would walk around with this sister and I would get crowns from, you know, melanated sisters. Like, oh, this brother's big, when it ain't, when it ain't that, man, it's, it's soul that fine soul. But let's continue. It's qualifying it. So the Jomon and the Anu, the Moors of Japan, Black Japan, but remember, we're not talking about no color, man, but for people that subscribe to that term, we're talking about indigenous melanated beings, let's be clear. The Anu people, Anu chiefs played an important role in their society. Each Anu uh, village was administered by three hereditary chiefs. Interestingly, they were not allowed to judge criminals. This function was performed by other members of the community. The Anu are a distinctive ethnic group, which used to have a culture completely different from that of the Japanese people. This culture was virtually destroyed during the Michi, the Miji, the Miji period, when uh, policies aimed at assimilating the Anu into Japanese culture, outlawed their language, and restricted their activities. Sounds familiar. Outlawed, took the language, took the culture. It sounds familiar, huh? That's what happens when someone colonizes the land. They try to hide the people <laughs> that was originally there and get rid of their customs and their ways. The word Anu is derived from the word Anu, A-Y-N-U, which means human. These days, some Anu prefer the term Utari. During the Edo period, they were often referred to as Ezo, Yezo, or Emishi. Although the Anu probably inhabited large areas of Japan, they are now mainly found in Hokkaido. During the 20th century, heated debate, uh, heated debate ranged over the origins of the Anu. They were finally settled by the mid 1990s, when genetic studies showed that they are the descendants of Japan's ancient Jomon inhabitants, mixed with Korean genes of Yayao colonists and of the modern Japanese. Because remember, my, my, my ex empress, Japanese sister, she would tell me of the townspeople, right? She's like, you know, they showed her the, the, the lighter complexed Japanese to the church people, but she's like, in the country where my mom's from, she's like a lot of the, the, the older people, they got very dark skin. Light bulbs are up. You know what I'm saying? I just start doing more research and more research. And brings me to this moment today. Salute to them. Give thanks. Well, forever. But um, let's continue. Let's speak of this Japanese empire. Japan has long and storied history known as the land of the rising sun. One of the remarkable aspects of Japanese history is how it went from being an isolated country that still resembled a medieval feudal state in 1868. Hmm, 1868. Hmm, that's three years after slavery. 1868. My great great uh, 
William Brown, I got my family's uh, tree, my family's scroll to prove it. Uh, my great 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 uncle William Brown founded a town that was named after my family's name. My mother's maiden name is Brown. The town was called Brownstown. An entire town named after my family. This is three years after slavery. Where did you get the money to buy an entire town? This town was later stolen by the government. Made uh, a national park and all some other shit to where they declared it public domain. And this is what they did to a lot of our families. Uh, land that were free people. They would reclassify you in the census record as ex-slaves and then they could own property and then you were fighting for this property and then the government comes in and declares your shit public domain and they steal your life. That happened my family. Exactly. It's crazy. I was at my grandmother's funeral and I'm talking to a few of my aunts and I'm showing them this. I pulled up the deed to the land. I'm like, because I always remember when I was a little kid, that's why you always listen to the stories and answers. I would hear my aunts and them talk about, yeah, we had a town named after the family. And, you know, my brothers and sisters, you know, they didn't really pay attention to it. You know, they just didn't investigate. You know, oh, that's not cool. When I was that kid, doing research. I found these. I found that, you know, yeah. And in Maryland, they, you know, it was in the state of Maryland. Yeah, they turned the shit into public land. How they do that? And then my, my aunt was telling me at the funeral, yeah, there was a Jewish man that married into the family. And then this is what happened. A lot of these mixed races would marry into our family because the women would get the property. So if I wine and dine with the lady and her dad left her acres of land, guess what? The husband is now party to the property. And this is what a lot of these mixed races did. A little bit of game. So in 1868, to an industrial and military powerhouse that challenged the world's great empires in less than, excuse me, that challenged the world's great, great empires in less than 70 years. But what was the origin of Japan's empire? How did it rise so quickly? And how did its admission lead to its downfall? Japanese empire history began in 1860 due to a complete 180-degree change in Japanese politics. The pre-imperial Edo period, the period preceding the Japanese empire's history, is known as the Edo period. During this period that began in 1603, the Tugogawa family ruled as the military dictators known as Shogun. From the city, from the city of Edo, which was later renamed Tokyo by the Japanese emperor. An emperor of Japan existed, but it was more of a figurehead position. Edo period Japan operated as a feudal state and practiced a largely isolationist foreign policy. By the late 1600s, foreign trade was only allowed at Nagasaki. Remember, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So the United States dropped their bomb on them to disrupt their trade. They was trying to fuck with their bag. This ain't have nothing to do with, yo, they was trying to strike the United States. This was all cap. And I knew it was cap in the history classes, but I couldn't prove it because I didn't have access to these kinds of books. But I would argue with my teacher nonetheless. They didn't have internet back then. You couldn't Google some shit. You had to actually go to the library. I was one of those kids going to the library. Books and buzz. Books and buzz. That's my thing. I'm an advocate for higher learning. <laughs> you get me? So... The Edo period operated as a feudal state and practiced a largely isolated foreign policy. By the late 1600s, foreign trade was only allowed at Nagasaki. Europeans were forbidden to set foot anywhere else in Japan. See, Japan 
what's wrong with that action? It looked like a little place. Nope. Let me tell you about these thousands of islands. Them shit's always been there. They always was about that action. They were, there were melanated people on those islands. That's why they're not going to tell you that. they like, wait a minute, 7,000 islands and ain't nobody on them? <laughs> Where's the people go? They went to America. See, America said, so-called United States, was like, yo, they doing hella trade with the rest of the world. We want something. See, anytime you see war and all this other conflict, it's always a get down, a lay down trade. It ain't no, you know what I mean? We just happen to get into a conflict with somebody. That shit is always about, man, we trying to get a bag because we hearing about all these bags y'all get. Now, I'm promising a lot of this uh, research, these are footnotes before we get into the book. So I, I just trying to put you in a perspective so when I start to read certain things, things start to click. In 1852, the U.S. Navy uh, com- com- Commodore Matthew C. Perry was sent by the U.S. President Millard Fillmore to establish trade relations Japan, see? Yo, let's 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 see if they'll get down the way now. And Japan said, fuck out of it. You know what I'm saying? That's how they dropped those atomic bombs on innocent fucking people. Can't overlook that. Perry was ordered to use gun uh gunboat diplomacy if necessary. Imitated by Perry's uh fleet, Japanese representatives were forced to sign unequal trade agreements with the U.S. and other Western countries. See, put down and lay down. Perry's visit and the subsequent treaties had been both a humiliation and a wake-up call to some that Japan needed to modernize or face being dominated by foreign power. Now, the, uh, the gunboat uh, diplomacy, a phrase used to describe diplomacy conducted under the threat of military force, usually by forcing a weaker state to accept the demands of a stronghold. So, so the U.S. came over there with a gunboat diplomacy, right? And every time they say, we're gonna spread democracy. What do they do when they say they spread democracy to a country? First they drop bombs, then these niggas drop baloney sandwiches, right? They drop bombs and then they drop baloney sandwiches, right? They fucked Iraq up and just said, yo, we're gonna set up democracy over there. So anytime the U.S. says we're setting up democracy, they're talking about a gunboat democracy. Get down the lay down, my nigga. The Emperor of Japan. In 1860s, some lords rebelled against the shogun rule. In its place, Emperor Meiji was declared Japan's supreme ruler in what is called the Meiji Restoration. Although the real power lay with the lords who had led the war effort, however, the emperor was presented as a powerful and unifying symbol of the transformation Japan was about to undergo. Modernization. Chief among the goals of new oligarchy rule, ruling Japan was modernizing the country's economy, industry, and military. They wanted to emulate the West, hired many Western advisors, and adopted Western clothing and style. That's why when you go to Tokyo, that shit looks like Times Square. You know what I'm saying? That shit is lit up. The expansion and rise of the Japanese Empire. Japan vastly expanded its army and navy. Military officials believe that Japan needed overseas territory to truly rival its Western counterparts, setting the stage for the expansion of the Japanese Empire. Now, we just went over who the, the Japanese are ancestors to. So we're talking about the Moorish Empire. Keep up. 
first Fennu Japanese War in 1894 and 1895. In 1894, Japan went to war with China to support Korean independence. You don't say. Now, you know I know if Korea give it up. You can't even go over there with your passport. The only <laughs> melanated person who went over there was Dennis Rodman. You don't say. How is it one brother playing basketball is best friends with the goddamn <laughs> dictator of Korea that the U.S. is scared of? This thing plays golf with homies. Do you, do you see how our people move? Everybody rocked with us. So now, they saying they was going to war with China. This little island called Japan. Remember, these thousands of islands that they now, later, they published. But it was always, they were always there. But they, 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 if they tell you about these islands being there, then you're going to question what happened to the people. Then you speak of the big yet. And then you hear uh, Nobuji Ali calling them Asiatic race. These Japanese empires acquired the islands of Taiwan and a dominant status over Korea. So Japan at one time was more powerful than Korea. Big fact. They also acquired privileges in the Manchuria region in China. See, most of the Chinese go back to Manchuria, right? Because they speak what Mandarin, right? And the Manchuria, right, which is the original Chinese. Remember the movie The Manchurian Candidate starring Denzel Washington? Check that movie out because it's gonna make more sense. And we talk about this mind control and how they use MK Ultra and all this other stuff. That shit's real. Watch that movie. That's one of my favorite movies. The Manchurian Candidate with Denzel Washington. Check it out. This war also made it clear that Japan was now the preeminent Asian power. The Russo-Japanese War. This is key. The Russo-Japanese War in 1904 through 05. In 1904, the Japanese declared war against Russia. Japanese was with the shit. See, they said they want to smoke with everybody. They was beefing with China. They was beefing with Korea. They said, fuck it, we bring it to Russia. In 1904, the Japanese declared war against Russia over tensions in Korea and Manchuria. If you're talking about Manchuria, they're talking about China. They were highly successful against the Russians, shocking many Western observers and showing that Japan could now compete with the European empires. Pay attention. So if the United States is still scared of Putin and they don't want no smoke with Russia, China gave them niggas the business. See, when they dropped the atomic bomb on China, that was some sucker shit. They didn't come head up in war with these indigenous people. They dropped some shit like three, four in the morning. Sucker shit. Big facts. <laughs> so, yo, when they seen that Japan kicked Russia's ass, U.S. said, oh, shit. We trying to lean on them when they just did business with us, but they really could go to war with us if they wanted to. So we got to try first. The war's outcome assured Japanese dominant domination of Manchuria and Korea, which it annexed as part of the Japanese Empire in 1910. So you talk about Korea was part of the Japanese Empire, i.e. the Warsh Empire. World War One. Japan participated in World War One on the Allied side and sent representatives to the Pacific Peace Conference. It joined the League of Nations as one of the council members a sign, a sign it was now considered a major world power. Japanese empire ideology and government. Although Japan adopted many Western customs, it maintained many of its own. 
including a religious ideology closely linked to nationalism. The government was organized as a monarchy with limited democracy, but the real political power in Japan was an oligarchy of military leaders. The Meiji construction allowed religious freedom, and the Japanese Empire's religion, religion consisted of a mix of Buddhism, Christianity, and Shintoism. See, remember, I keep saying this all through the series. I respect all the books and all the prophets. Because when you find out that all of these religions are rooted in melanated indigenous culture, you won't understand why everybody rocks with our stuff. You keep saying that they stole our language, they stole our culture, they stole our religion. All of the world's religions is, is our shit. Remember, the truth is broken into fragments. We brought the truth at what degree the people could perceive it. That's why the oldest statue of the Buddha, he got locked, just like me. The Shinto religion originated in ancient Japan and experienced a high degree of syncretism with Buddhism, syncretism, blending or mixing of religious traditions, beliefs, and practices. See what's going on? This was our answer. We practice multiple religions at the same time. What did Moses say to Christ? The other game. When the people ask me, what's your name? What should I call you? He says, I am that I am, I exist, I go by many names. Get it now? All of that shit belongs to us. I meditate, also a Buddhist, you know what I'm saying? I practice peace. Right. I am the Christ, I am the light. Right. Islam, I self law and master. I understand that true of life, Kabbalah, all of that is our culture. See, when they got you thinking, one of this can only be your identity. You start to fight it and deny the rest of your people's culture. That's how they divide and conquer. However, after the Michi restoration, the ruling class purged Buddhist, uh, Buddhist influence from the Shinto and established it as a pseudo-state religion. They encouraged the idea that the emperor was a supreme being or communist. State Shinto was closely associated with nationalism, devotion to the emperor and support for the emperor's expansion, Japanese empire political structure. The Meiji construction uh, technically gave the empire, the emperor, near absolutist power, while also creating a parliament known as the imperial imperial diet, with some limited democracy. In reality, the emperor served more as a figurehead than exercising real political power. Tacho uh, democracy. There was an expansion of democracy under Emperor Taosho in the 1910s and 20s. Democratic reforms were adopted that allowed all men over 25 to vote by jubilating the number of people able to vote. Japan was also active in the League of Nations and international opponents. However, this moral liberal uh, period would be short-lived. The rise of, mater of uh, ah, ah, militarism and show-up period. Emperor uh, Tusho died in 1926 and ruled past to his son, Hiroto, also known as the Showa Emperor. The first years of his reign were marked by a conservative backlash to left-wing political movement and an economic crisis in 1927. The onset of the Great Depression only made things worse. Increasingly, Japan turned towards 
militarism and totalitarianism to address the crisis throughout the 1930s. The Japanese military came to exert more and more influence to control and Japanese politics. Roll to uh, World War II. The domination of Japanese uh, politics by the military eventually led to the outbreak of World War II in the Pacific. See, they all was fighting over uh, trade. Who was getting hella bags and we need some of that money? Get down to lay down. The Manchurian crisis. And, no, hold on, I want to skip that part. Many Japanese military and business leaders wanted to expand to gain natural resources, as islands had few resources of its own. The Manchurian crisis. In 1931, an explosion of the Japanese-owned railroad in Manchuria became a pretext for an invasion and annexation of Manchuria by China. The League of Nations condemned the invasion, prompted Japan to withdraw from the League and pursue continued military buildup outside the international diplomatic system. The Second uh, Sino-Japanese War. Japan invaded the rest of China in 1937 leading to the Japanese occupation of much of Central and Eastern China. Resistance force prevented Japan from controlling rural territories, but it controlled major cities. You know what's funny? <laughs> now this shit makes sense. My, my, my uh, former empress, she's Japanese, and we would go out and about to restaurants. We went to a restaurant and it was a sister, you know, she was eyeing me, whatever, but the sister was Chinese. And Yo, you know how women beef, where they can beef with their eyes, but they like, you know, like the girl couldn't stand my girl. Like she just like she was bartender, but like she was, you know, trying to flirt with me, and my girl was like, she about to cut a nigga, right? You know, but it was like they were beefing because culturally, Japan gave the business to China, so maybe you know historically, whatever story her ancestors told her, she she revered. Japanese people. So it was like she was, ah, oh, I can stand this bitch. You know what I'm saying? It was like she was, but but I could feel the tension, but I didn't know why. And then later I started to do this research and understand the tension between China and Japan. So real, real uh, fast, you know how someone will say, we, you know, we're classifying them as all Asians and they all, nope, nope. They're going to let you know the country they're from. No, no, no. I am Chinese. I am Japanese. I am Korean. They, they, they're not going to play that color game with you. Nah, we all say everybody black. Nah, buddy. You're not gonna call somebody from the island black. They'll rock with you for a second, but they're gonna pull that flag out. Call a Haitian black. Yeah, he rock with you, my brother. But he gonna say stop by saying in a minute. You know what I'm saying? He gonna pull out that Haitian flag. Salute to all my people in the islands that got fried. Because the ancestors that the story intact. And it's not about them saying I'm better than you and I don't wanna be black. Remember, black denoted to an unknown ancestry, because they wasn't always calling you black. Called you colored called you Negro, called you Afro-American, right? All of these misnomers to detach you from being the ancestors of these empires that they was all fighting for. Bars on top of bars, and I love this shit. Confrontation with the U.S. The U.S. grew increasingly critical of Japan after reports of atrocities during the Second Sino-Japanese War, especially during the Najing massacre, something called the Rape of Najing where Japanese soldiers killed tens of thousands of civilians. Tensions had already flared earlier with the U.S. having restricted Japanese immigration. More importantly, though, each saw that the other a threat to their economic and strategic interests in the Pacific. So the U.S. started to push propaganda like, yo, 
the Japanese over there killing people. We got to liberate them. Remember how they all, they start that shit with every place, right? They'll say, our country's run amok. We got to establish democracy. But remember, the gunboat democracy. We come with the guns. We drop bombs and then we drop bologna sandwiches. And then we drop Bibles. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But this is how, you know, the United States works. Occupation of French, Indo, China, and oil embargo. Japan invaded French, held Indo, China, modern day Laos, and Cambodia, Vietnam. Now remember, the US was beefing with Cambodia. See, all of this stuff, it was like, yo, y'all gonna align yourselves with our, with our enemy? Y'all are hot too. And salute to all the people in Cambodia. One of my ex, ex empresses was Cambodia. It's, I just look back at like a lot of, and I wasn't, you know, I'm gonna date women outside my race. I dated a lot of men lately. Taking one now. So now what I'm saying is this. We're tied to these particular cultures because we were of these cultures. We were of these cultures. Before they sliced up the people and got you thinking other than. Remember, look at all the people that got rhythm and look at the people that don't got rhythm. <laughs> you're going to know who you're connected to and who you're not. The Ho Chi Minh uh, communist guerrilla group the Viet, the Viet Minh first emerged as a resistance to the Japanese occupation of Vietnam. The U.S. responded by banning the sale of scrap metal to Japan and closing the Panama Canal to Japanese ships. On August 1st, 1941, the U.S. placed an oil embargo on Japan. More than 80% of Japan's oil came from the U.S. So the Japanese looked to the South Pacific to secure reserves from Dutch-held Indonesia. Pearl Harbor, here we go. Pearl Harbor, seeing war with the U.S. as inevitable, the Japanese planned a surprise attack on the U.S. Navy base at Pearl Harbor, designed to cripple the U.S. Navy. That was attack. They already had ways to make it big business, but the U.S. just had to make that claim, so now when they strike first, they can run over there and take their shit, now force these uh, bogus trade deals on them, and further their domination of the empire. Surprise attack on the U.S. Navy base at Pearl Harbor designed to cripple the U.S. Navy. As the attack occurred on December 7, 1941, the Japanese launched uh, simultaneous invasions of U.S. and British-held colonies in the South Pacific. British-held colonies in the South Pacific. So they had slaves or prisoners of war indentured servants working in the South Pacific. Native people, pay attention. Although occurring just a few hours after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the invasion of the other islands in the Pacific occurred on December 8th, the next day, due to the time difference between Hawaii and South Pacific. Greater East Asia co-prosperity uh, sphere. By early 1942, the Japanese had occupied most of the South Pacific. They called their new Japanese empire the Great East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere and attempted to promote it as a way for you for Asian unity and strength against the West. See? Unity. See, they fear these indigenous melanated people unifying because they can take the Western bad. That's why they still fear today our people unifying, because we can stop this so-called white supremacy system in this country. And all we got to do is put our petty differences aside and say we all melanated people. And the atrocities that happen to our ancestors happen to all of us collectively. 
At one time, we knew who the op was. At one time, we knew who the enemy was. Now we're running around calling each other the op. Cosmic distance, right? Defeat of an end of the Japanese Empire. Despite the early success of the Japanese war after Pearl Harbor, they eventually were defeated. They rebuilt the U.S. Navy. The rebuilt U.S. Navy achieved naval supremacy after the Battle of the Midway in 1942. The occupation of China also proved increasingly costly. By 1945, U.S. bombers could strike Japan. The U.S. dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki on August 6th and 9th, 1945. Man, they dropped the bomb on the business of the native people. They got you thinking these people are separate from your ancestors when they all shared in light of the great empire that your ancestors ran. So let's get into it. How to hide an empire. I had to set the premise. I had to give these footnotes before we get into this illustrious scholarship. Man, this is one of my favorite books here, man, because every book that I that I mention is one of my favorites, right? So I'm giving you guys my list, you know, my list of dope books. But we're gonna uh, bounce around a few chapters. But if I showed you uh, the money, right? They they actually show a picture of the U.S. dollar, but the U.S. dollar says the Philippines Islands. Philippines Island, 10 silver pesos, and the shit looks like a $10 bill. This is, this, this, this will throw you. The Philippine Island, USA, a 10 uh, peso note. Throughout the territories, colonized subjects were obliged to use bills with the face of the U.S. leaders on them. Extraordinarily, the Philippines bill was the basis for the design of the familiar U.S. dollar, not the other way around. So before they created this U.S. dollar, they they first had to design the Philippines, and they was trading with the money out there. Now let's go back to the Philippines, the people they called the Moros, the Moros that that practice Islam. What? Some of Asians that practice Islam? Big fact. And the Moros are descendants of the Moors, i.e., the people. Powerful stuff. So let's let's bounce around for a few of these chapters, and they actually have a picture of Martin Luther King in here with a a, a, a Lao on his neck. You know, uh, one of those uh, you know the, the things they give you in Hawaii, and he was against the said war. I wonder why. See, they feared Martin Luther King. He started uh, speaking uh, out against the Vietnam War. He said, "No, nah, I'm not fighting other indigenous people." Right? You can't have him talking like that. Just Google uh, Martin Luther King's last speech. That brother had fire behind him. He wasn't on some I Have a Dream shit. That brother had some fire behind him. He was with all the smoke. <laughs> Just Google his last speech after you uh, listen to this uh, podcast. Everything you always wanted to know about Guano but were afraid to ask. It is little noted feature of world history that in the first few decades, the map hasn't changed much. Of course, there has been trouble spots. Iraq, Kuwait, Russia, Ukraine, Sudan, and the dramatic dismantling of the Soviet Union. But there hasn't been anything like the wretching, uh, uh, catagraphic tumult of previous centuries. The invasions, revolutions, conquests, and annexations that turned Poland into a cursed accordion 
mad, uh, madly expanding and contracting in the wide Indian country off the map. And to wipe the Indian country off the map. Now, they show this map of the United States, but then the map mentions all of these American Indian tribes that had names in the particular land. Now, keep in mind, they speak of Native Americans and American Indians, two different they didn't kill off the, the entire population of indigenous people. They just changed your name to Negro, to color, to African American. Remember, Indian is, is, is synonymous with indigo, the indigo people, people of many shades. So don't be confused with these fake Indians they show you in Hollywood movies. Because that's what our reference point is. We keep thinking that, oh, I ain't Indian, I ain't this. We keep denying all of these indigenous uh, identities when it's all one and the same. But you have to put it in context. And they always tell you, you got Indian in your family. And that wasn't a joke. Indian, you the Indian. <laughs> and they was the pilgrims, right? As they told you. And then they traded places. The tendencies of today's borders to stick in place can make the shapes of countries seem inevitable. The hexagon of France the stiletto boot of Italy, the impossible thin needles of Chile, a dagger pointed at the heart of Antarctica, uh, quipped Henry Kissinger, uh, though they were obviously the results of historical fortune. It's difficult to image, excuse me, difficult to imagine them taking form other than the one that they did. That's one reason why it's hard to remember the U.S. founders' hesitation about westward expansion. Surely we think they must have they must have seen how stunted, how unfinished their little stub of a country was. There's something satisfying about following the story to its end. Pay attention to this part. Like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. The Louisiana Purchase, click. East and West Florida, click. Texas, click. Oregon, click. The War of Mexico, click. The, Gats the Gadsden Purchase, a silver of land on the Mexican border, that fills out the familiar logo map profile of the United States. Click, picture complete, destiny manifest. So what they're saying is, remember, there was 13 colonies, and then now we got this map of the shape of the United States. But the map is actually bigger than the one they're showing you, because they were stealing land from the indigenous people and renaming it, reclaiming it. Remember, how was it slavery in 50 states when they wasn't 50 states? Remember, the Louisiana Purchase, 1804, before that, Louisiana wasn't a part of the United States. It was, in fact, a part of the so-called Spanish Empire, which was, i.e., the Moorish Empire, because Spain was called our land to lose, was ruled by the Moors for 800 years. So the people that left Spain, they said they were fleeing Spain when the war started, they were fleeing Louisiana. You understand what's going on? But if you're looking at a modern map, the story's not going to make sense to you. And they can spin you with these history books. That's why we got to do our independent research. I'm not a historian, right? That's his story. I'm an our historian, right? I'm focused and dedicated on our story. Except the puzzle wasn't finished. The logo map silhouette accurately captured the borders of the United States for only three years, because in 1857, not long after the Gadsden Purchase was ratified, look that up, the Gadsden Purchase was ratified in 1854, 
the United States began annexing small islands throughout the Caribbean and the Pacific. By the end of the century, it would claim almost a hundred of them. So the United States claims a hundred islands. They were cutting up the Moorish Empire. And in order to hide the empire, you gotta hide the people. How do you hide the people on a big ass land where they're heavily populated? You just keep changing their names. The only people in history whose name has changed six or seven times are so-called black people. Melanated people, Moorish inhabitants, Moorish indigenous people. Fight me on the title because we're not talking title, we're talking bloodline. Oh, I am more, I'm a Hebrew. One and the same. <laughs> One and the same. The islands had no indigenous population. Pay attention. See, when the United States starts to make claims to it, it's like when Japan says, we got 7,000 islands. When they got 14,000 total. All talking about this motion. So now look at the, the islands, the hundreds of islands that the United States have. They said the islands had no indigenous population. So where did the people go? But they were already in America because all of the land was together. Eurasia, remember that? The, the, the whole planet, planet Asia, Asiatic people. And, and we keep thinking people with, you know, so-called yellow skin when you can't call someone yellow. That shit sounds retarded. But when we're speaking of features, right? So they say the yellow man, the red man, the black man, like 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 the uh, family of nations are a box of crayons, which which is not more. But the islands had no indigenous population, and at the time, no strategic value. They tend to be remote, rocky, and rainy, poor places to grow things on. But that didn't matter. They had the one thing that everyone in the 19th century family wanted. They had white gold. White gold? What the fuck is white gold? White gold, known in less polite circles as bird shit, my nigga. White gold is called bird shit. Why is bird shit white gold? Remember, if you want to plant food on this land, remember, the bird shit is like a fertilizer. So the island was very fertile for planting vegetation. This is key. So if the islands were very fertile to, to uh, plant crops and food, it had to be people there eating food at one time. Attention. To understand why anyone would care about bird dropping, it helps to know a little about pre-industrial agriculture. Farming in the 19th century in the United States was not like it is today. Acres of staggeringly prolific fields uh, bristling with high yield crops. It was a touch and go business. The reason Benjamin Franklin's population uh, numbers had alarmed Thomas uh, Maltus was that Maltus couldn't see where the food would come from to feed those multiplying generations. New farmland and virgin soil had given North Americans a margin of ease, he acknowledged, but that could only be temporary. In the end, he wrote, the power of population is so superior to the power in the earth to produce sustenance for man. The premature death must in some shape or others visit the human race. Because if you can't plant more food, the population won't die. So if I want to kill off a race of people, I kill their crops. 
lot of the land in the United States, they've been planting a lot of this GMO shit. And the way the GMO crops work, once you plant the GMO seeds, you destroy the land. You can't reuse the land. So there's a lot of soil that's fucked up. And in fact, if you're a planter and they're pushing a lot of these GMO seeds on the farmers, black farms, so-called melanated farms, right? So now, if you were to plant, let's say one farmer has uh, a farm with real seeds, but his farm is next to a GMO farm. Those GMO crops could fuck up the natural farm next door. It can deplete and strain the soil. Remember, you want to kill off the people, you kill off their food sources, fuck up their crops. As the 19th century progressed, agricultural scientists got a better sense of why land fertility lags behind human fertility. Right? Ain't got no food, can't produce no base. Uh, arable land contains nutrients without which plants will not grow. The most important by far is nitrogen, one of the four building blocks of life. Carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. Soil short of its yields, underdeveloped plants with pale leaves and protein or seeds. Luckily, nitrogen makes up nearly four-fifths of the Earth's atmosphere by volume. Unluckily, atmospheric nitrogen is almost exclusively denitrogen, uh, uh, whose strong triple bonds render it unreactive and thus inaccessible to plants. Worse, nature offers frustrationally, frustratingly few ways to turn denitrogen into a usable reactive compound. Lightning will do it, as well the bacteria that inhabit the the nuke, the the uh nodules uh the nodules of the roots of some lagoons. But that's it. It took chemists until the nineteenth century to piece all that together. But farmers in their own way had comprehended it for millennia. Because those indigenous farmers, they knew how to be in touch with the soil. They knew how to work the land. They knew how to plant the food. See what's going on? So in order for you to set up your colonies, you had to enslave indigenous people that knew how to work the land thousands of years. See what's going on? Why would I take someone from Africa that's not familiar with the land over here and how the crops grow? Wouldn't I take the indigenous people that was already growing food here? She was already on the land. Big fact. It took chemists until the 19th century to piece it all together. But farmers in their own way, and it's funny, my last name is Mark, <laughs> had comprehended it for millions, for millennia. All agricultural traditions, in order for them to last long enough to be traditions, required methods, methods for managing nitrogen flows. These are intricate ballots between farmer and earth, choreographed by folk wisdom and dance to the rhythm of the season. Now, that's real. When you see sisters twerking and all that stuff, that comes from the ancestors' rain dance. And they would dance a particular way. The sisters would move and vibrate, and they would create rain for these crops to grow. We talking about indigenous alchemy. Look at the sisters right now. They could twerk in the middle of the supermarket and then shut the damn supermarket down. You forgot what you came to get. You done, you done crashed your cart into somebody in the aisle and shit. You done forgot your grocery list. Let a sister break out and start twerking in the supermarket. 
you will lose your goddamn mind. But it taps into your DNA. That's why what we do in the strip club, we make it rain when she twerks because it's symbolic to the ancestors rain dance. Now, of course, we made it a little more ratchet today, but conjuring up that energy, we pull upon energy. Powerful shit. Salute to all my sisters. Just, just can't seem to stop twerking. You know what I'm saying? You're in the middle of a restaurant, you twerking. Remember the sisters with a restaurant, they got on the table and started twerking? Because that DNA is waking up right now. They might not know how to get unratchet with it, but at the core of it, the sisters are moving that energy because of that gospel. But that sister would perform that rain dance and niggas would make it rain, right? But, but, but nature would make it rain. But they're talking about these farmers that knew how to work the land with that alchemy. Powerful stuff, guys. These are intricate ballads between farmer and earth, uh, choreographed, choreographed, right? Dance moves by folk wisdom and dance to the rhythm of the season. Nitrogen-rich manures are spread, crops, crops rotated, forests burned, fields left fallow or lentils planted. Each lo locale offers its own complicated variation on enduring themes. See, remember, see, so-called Europeans, right, you know, they, they got everything in Whole Foods and they tell you, you know, this is organic, this is organic, and everybody's buying food, they think it's organic. Well, what the fuck is organic? Organic is when you turn the soil over in between the food, right? You take the soil that's on the bottom, you mix it and turn it on the top. This is how you turn the crops into organic food. Now, everybody slap the label, the name organic, and they don't know what the fuck organic is. But organic is the natural way of farming that our ancestors Big fat. All of the shit we planted in the South was organic. That shit you buy in old food, a lot of that stuff is plastic food now. Seedless. If it's seedless, how did it get here? <laughs> you feel me? If it's seedless, how did it get here? All that Frankenstein food that they, they now have in the supermarket. Gotta get back to putting our hands and feet in, in the dirt, in the soil. Man, that's powerful. These complex systems faltered, however. In the 19th century, industrialization required raw materials to feed the factories and grains to feed the workers. Farms that used to grow a rotating variety of crops for local consumption started focusing on the most profitable crops and grew them for the state market. So you remember, a lot of the soil is, is, is messed up when they started planting tobacco and all this shit that depletes the soil because it, it takes a lot of energy from the earth to, to create these tobacco uh, crops and to produce them. A lot of water too, but it also depletes the soil. So it, it's not really much you can plant there. Just research this. this they, they call it a uh, dust bowl, dust bowl town. Where there's a lot of towns where the soil is so fucked up, it's a ghost town. Because people can't live there because you can't, you can't plant no food. This is all across the United States. It's lands that were deduced to just wasteland. And a lot of these so-called poor whites, they used to live on these lands. They call them uh, clay eaters, sand dwellers, hillbillies. A lot of these are tears of so-called white people. Because you could be white, not white, white. If you were landless and poor, who is just a white nigga? 
worse by delivering the produce on the countryside to distant cities. The new agricultural broke the age-old cycle that had restored waste, human and animal, to the land, returning nitrates to the soil, right? Because they would use uh, feces and animals feces as fertilizer. That's why they was talking about the bird shipping and white gold, because this stuff uh, activated the, uh, the, the, nit the, the nitrogen in the soil, which allowed the crops to thrive. 19th century uh, er ergonomists cringe at the thought of large cities flushing into rivers and oceans. The nitrogenous waste that could have fertilized the field. The author of a much-used textbook estimated the annual value of loss, human feces to be 50 million, which approached the size of the federal budget. God damn they saying that shit was worth money. You know what I'm saying? It's the size of the federal budget. These were not idle words. Single crop farms yielded diminishing returns. Soil exhaustion, as it was called, was the bugbear of the 19th century. Agricultural throughout the industrializing world. And it had taken hold of eastern farms. The fact is notorious. Reported an agricultural expert to the United States uh, New York City, that there are thousands, if not millions, of acres in the state which were once bore the 20 bushels of good wheat per acre that now yield no more than 10. See, they started to destroy the soil because when they started to colonize the land, these niggas wasn't in touch with Mother Nature. They wasn't in touch with Mother Nature. They didn't know how to work the land. They was, they was all about profit and, and they didn't have a passion for farming crazy that they call farming husbandry the husbandry right like like mother nature or mother earth is your wife and you're the husband right the farmer tending to land gotta know how to speak to her for them crops to come up gotta know how to treat her for them uh, crops to come up gotta know how to nurture her they fed let's jump around that, that's a powerful chapter I just wanted to uh, qualify that so let's move on to the next chapter the Empire State of Mind. This shit is powerful. I, I was. <laughs> Cracking up when I heard the title. I'm like, Empire State of Mind? Like, what? The Empire State? This is why the Empire State is called New York. Because New York is the seat of the empire. They got you thinking D.C., right? That's where the paper pushes are. D.C. is not the head of the empire. It's New York City. The financial hub, right? It's where the stock exchange is. The very first stock exchange, uh, what is it, 55 Water Street. The actual steps of the stock exchange, they were selling food, people, of, of all colors. But that was the first actual stock that they had. Because the, the bonding companies were the first Fortune 500 companies. What am I talking about? The Fortune 500, Fortune 500 companies of today, they were the bonding companies of old. Bonding companies. Yeah, the East Indian Company, the Virginia Tobacco Company. These were companies on the stock market of the time that leased out human labor. And they had shareholders and all this. And yep, they had shareholders. People had stock and human stock. Pick up what I'm putting down. Empire state of mind. It had always 
It had all happened very fast for William McKinley. Imperial affairs were far at far outside his ken. Speaking of the Philippines, he supposedly confined to a friend that before the war with Spain, he could now have told were their darn islands with were within 200 miles. The geography section, moreover, was the easiest part of the exam. The real uh, head scattered was the final essay question, worth most of the grade, having seen Spain's empire. See, Spain's empire. They're talking about Al-Andalus. Al-Andalus, which was the name before it was called Spain, which was ruled by the Moors for 800 years. And the Moors fell in 1492. How ironic. The Moors disappear off the face of the earth. 1492, you got the Columbus character, and then you got the enslaving of melanated people whose names keep changing over time. We gotta put these pieces together. Stop arguing about these little clubs and shit, because that's how they keep us in the divide and conquer mentality. We all the same people, indigenous, the original inhabitants of the planet. Not just one landmass you can call in Africa, the entire planet, my G. The world, Craig. You know what I'm saying? Top flight security. The world, Craig. The question was particularly vexing with respect to the, the distant and pop, populous Philippine Islands. They were near China, and thus potential stepping stones in a trade empire of, of sorts that Alfred Thayer Mahan had proposed. Yet the United States had no existing business in the Philippines. Remember, the Philippines have a, a people called the Moros that practice Islam. Or, pay attention, by one, by one count, there were fewer than 10 U.S. citizens there when the war broke out. Commander Dewey doubted that Washington would take more than a coaling station. But there was, before Dewey dispatched the Spanish fleet to the bottom of the Manila Bay, before Teddy Roosevelt crested San Juan Heights, the collapse of Spain's beguiled empire placed the whole Philippine oligarch in McKinley's surprise hand. What to do? Return the islands to the Spanish? Sell them? Leave them be? I walked the floor of the White House night after night until midnight. So they stole the Philippines and talking about how, who we gonna sell it to? Should we keep it? <laughs> Yo, these niggas is arrogant. But Kenley explained to an audience of churchmen, and I am not ashamed to tell you, gentlemen, that I went down on my knees and prayed almighty God for light and guidance more than once, more than, more than one night. To McKinley, none of the choices was particularly appetizing. Returning the colony to Spain would be cowardly. Handling it, handing it over to anyone else would be bad business. He doubted that Filipinos could govern themselves. They always doing that shit. They come to a land where people are already civilized and they, they get to popping, got their own economy, and then they say these niggas are uncivilized and they can't govern themselves. We gotta bring a gunboat democracy. Get down the lay down, my nigga. He doubted that the Filipinos could govern themselves. He thus saw only one option, take the Philippines 
educate the Philippines. How the fuck you gonna educate some people that are already operating on their own land, that have their own empire? Arrogance, man. And uplift and civilize and Christianize them. But remember, the morals they were practicing Islam. But what did Jesus say in the Bible? John chapter 20, verse 21. Peace be unto you. As my father has sent me, I also send you. What? Jesus said, peace be unto you. But what does assalamu alaikum mean? Peace be unto you. One and the same, my G. It's all our culture. I respect all the books and all the prophets. Dealing with a different being here, man. I ain't a talking head, man. I'm connected to the bloodline of my ancestors, and I will keep their history intact, or our story intact. Man, they're going to civilize and Christianize them, and by God's grace, do the very best. Remember, Christianize. They're not talking about we're going to give them the true form of Christianity, like the oldest church, the Coptic church in Ethiopia that predates the Roman church, because we were practicing Christianity before these niggas convoluted the water. See, Bidi Betty Vici, in this time we come, when they talk about bringing Christendom, they talk about bringing the goddamn church, bringing Rome virgin, pimping the book. Matthew 15, 8, they confess my name with their tongue, but deny me in their hearts. The whole book was going to tell you these imposters that are going to be preaching the most high word. Amen. Resolute, he sent for the wars department cartographer. I told him to put the Philippines on the map of the United States. He remembered, pointing to the map in question, and there they are. Yo, this book is so fascinating. It shows a map of the United States, but it added, it adds the Philippines. It added, it adds some of those islands from Japan. It adds Puerto Rico, all this shit on the map. We're gonna talk about Puerto Rico in a minute. Salute to all my boys that he came. My Taino, my indigenous melanated people. We all family. Move. Move. They try to separate us, but we gonna put the pieces back together. Big facts. Indeed, there they were. The war with Spain gave rise to the only moment in U.S. history when cartographers aggressively rejected the logo map. In its place, they offered maps of the Empire. Publishers. Uh, chasing in, excuse me, publishers cashing in on Empire Fever, rushed to put out, out uh, atlases showcasing the country's new dimension. See, they showed these maps that, that showed the Moorish Empire, and they in the U.S. like, my nigga, we trying to hide the empire. We can't let these indigenous people know that they indigenous, that we cut up their land. That's why we had to perpetrate stolen from another land. It does look a little bit odd to see Puerto Rico, Hawaii, and the distant Philippine Islands on the United States map, reflected one writer. But there they are, and printed as carefully and described as carefully as if they had been for a whole generation in their present honor company. Now, if you see this map I'm looking at, all of those islands stick like a goddamn puzzle. That's what it was, empire. That they cut up like a jigsaw. By the 1900s, such maps were common. They appeared as a matter of course in atlases on classroom walls. 
in textbooks. But where the hell did these maps go? Why are they not in the classroom today? That's all by design. Propaganda. In textbooks and at the front of the census report, some show the North American mainland surrounded by inlets. Others show the United States stretching, stretching out over the world map. From the Caribbean to the edge of China. This is why the prophet kept saying we Asiatic. He's trying to show you they hid your land, cut it up, and separated you from the land. I can it. They didn't steal you from a land. They stole the land. They didn't steal the people from a land. They stole the land. Some showed the North American mainland surrounded by inlets, right? Others showed the United States stretching out over the world map from the Caribbean to the edge of China. Either way, the message was clear. The country had undergone a metamorphosis. The caterpillar had unfurled its butterfly wings. Writers, too, think they changed and searched for a new name for the transformed country. They offered suggestions in the titles of books, Imperial America. In 1898, the Greater Republic. See, we talk about that republic. We talk about the abortion That's why I was 14 presidents before George Washington. The continental uh, U.S. The continental U.S. Oh man, all of this shit is starting to snap in place, guys. I've been doing years of this research, and I vindicate. The more I find books like this, where people also invested years of research. Y'all going over here, thing. The Greater United States in 1904, and seven books published in the decade after 1898, whose titles involve the phrase Greater America. The term United States of America has ceased to be an accurate description of the country over which the stars and stripes float. Now, I want you guys to look up something. The Organization of American States, OAS. Organization of American states. See, when they refer to something as a state, each state is its own country. God bless our empire. Each country was an empire. This map, oh man, this map is beautiful. The Greater United States map looks like this. Taken from the inside cover of a 1900 textbook, history textbook, appeared frequently uh, starting in 1899 often as the principal maps of the United States. Shown along with the states are a much diminished Indian country, Indian country, the Moorish Empire, as well as Hawaii, Guam, Waki, American Samoa, right? And salute to all my Samoan melanated people. <laughs> you are, you can tell. And all these melanated people, all my friends, they all are fans of hip hop. That ain't by coincidence, see? That ain't no, you know, they're just trying to cultural appropriation. I understand. We all got bread. It was these foreigners that showed up and started to confuse us between the two. Guam, American Samoa, the Philippines, Alaska, Cuba, Puerto Rico. These are all part of the Martian. That's why they have so much in Cuba, because you won't find so many dark-skinned people in Cuba, and they can't explain it to you. Oh, those are people from Africa, slaves they dropped off. 
All that shit is capped, my nigga. When they drop people off on these islands from Africa, you was already on the island, man. The authority, the, the author of one argued, like United Kingdom, it applies merely to the central and dominating body, the seat of the empire. Go back to that, as I said. That's why New York State is called the Empire State, because it's the seat. The term United States has ceased. Oh, I skipped something. Like United Kingdom, it applies merely to the central and dominating body. The seat of empire and greater America comprises almost as wide a range of governments as Great Britain itself, which was also a part of the Moorish Empire. You ever heard of the Brutish Moors? When they were fighting the so-called Red Coast, they were fighting their people on both sides, melanated people. They whitewashed all these wars to hide the fact that they were cutting up indigenous people's land. term United States has ceased to be an accurate description. It was a remarkable observation, and it gave rise not only to a, trans, a transient bout uh, of verbal creativity, but to a much more enduring nomenclatural shift. Although the country's official name has always been the United States of America, in the 19th century, it was common to call the United States, or perhaps refer to it by its political structure, the Republic of the Union. Through inhabitants, though inhabitants of the country were often called Americans, it is striking how infrequently America was used. What's going on? And every time when they say Americans, you keep thinking the US. And I keep telling you that Webster's Merriam Dictionary, 1878, the definition has later been changed. The definition for America. America, the copper colored races here before Columbus arrived. Later changed to the descendants of Europeans. See, they, they fucking with the language. So every time you hear America, Americans, United States, you start thinking slavery, so-called white people. But you're not looking at the vast empire that they did over your ancestors. That you're an heir to. Although the country's official name has always been the United States of America, in the 19th century, it was common to call the United States or perhaps refer to it by its political structure, the Republic of the Union, excuse me, or the Union. Though inhabitants of the country were often called Americans, it is striking how infrequently America was used. Walt Whitman was fond of the term as I hear America singing in 1860 or the Young America movement of which he was a member. Herman Melville, another member, also used America at times. But one can search through all the messages and public papers of the president, including annual messages and all rule. That's why they call it the continental United States. Continental, multiple continents. Talking about this vast empire. And this is how they hid an empire by scrambling our continent. But one can search through all the messages and public papers of the president, including annual messages and all rural addresses, proclamations, 
special messages to Congress, and much more. From the founding to 1898, an encounter only 11 unambiguous references. Remember, unambiguous, clear and precise. Unambiguous references to the country as America. About one per decade. Nor was the word America included in the patriotic song that got sung in 1898. You won't find it in the lyrics to Yankee Doodle. Hail to the chief, my country tis of thee. Dixie, the battle cry of freedom. None of this shit means this America. Because they remember, this was a new concept. And the land was America before these niggas claimed to be America. We're talking about a vast empire. Here we go. The battle uh, cry of freedom. The battle hymn of the republic. Or the stars and stripes. Forever. It isn't even ended. The Star Spangled Banner. In 1819, composition later adopted as the national anthem. The word that does appear in 19th century lyrics is Columbia, as in the District of Columbia. An earlier literary name for the country. See, that's why they got you thinking Washington, D.C., where the president lives. But New York City is where the money's at. That's why it's called the Empire State, the seat of the empire. Isn't that where Washington is, the stock exchange? All the banks? All the Fortune 500 companies got paid all the slavery? Why? The financial hub of the world. Though they have fallen from favor today, Columbia, hell Columbia, and Columbia the gem of the ocean were among the most sung anthems of the 19th century. Somewhere around the turn of the century, though, all that changed. One sharp-eared uh, British writer heard the switch. For some 30 years prior to 1898, while the adjective American has been in general use, the noun America has been extremely rare. One might, up to that annus memorabilis, have traveled 5,000 miles and read a hundred books and newspapers without ever hearing once come across it, United States. Because even the term United States is interchangeable. They mention United States in five different contexts. United States is in fact just a corporation on paper. It's not an actual land of people. You can be a citizen of the United States and talk about the district, 10 by 10 square miles. Separate from the indigenous inhabitants of the entire land map, the empire, even the shit that they hide. Islands and all this other stuff, and the 7,000 islands in Japan, and all that other stuff. Interesting, guys. Continues on to say, uh, where are we? United States uh, being almost invariable, the term employed by the American for his own country. After 1898, though, he noted that the best speakers and writers feeling that the United States no longer captured the nature of their country switched to America. That's where all this American patriotism and all this came. Remember, they still had the definition for America. The copper-colored races. Put a penny up to the copper-colored. Your skin is more that of a copper hue than you being black. Black is a legal status, which denotes to civilists here more too. Your rights are civilly dead in the eyes of the law. How do we prove that? 2023, we still screaming Black Lives Matter. 
break these spells, my people. If the best speakers and writers could be stretched to include presidents, that was true. Though McKinley, like most of the predecessors, declined to use America in his public address, the reluctance ended there. His successor, Theodore Roosevelt, spoke of America in his first annual message and never looked back. In one two-week period, Roosevelt used the name more than all his predecessors combined. So they used Roosevelt to push this propaganda and hiding the empire. Now this American uh, patriotic duty and all this stuff is being pushed on the people. Every president since has used America freely and frequently. The anthems changed too. No longer Columbia, the gem of the ocean, but America the beautiful. And God bless America. That's when all that stuff started coming. And all of these uh, so-called poor whites became U.S. citizens. By way of the Nationalization Act of 1790, the Nationalization Act of 1870, they became white on paper. They skin ain't white as pink. Status. We're talking status. 1898 was a momentous break from the past, requiring new maps and names. See? They started to create these new, new maps, new names, and they started to push this stuff in history class. And then all the people started to lose their costumes and started to gravitate towards again. And now we are, we are today. But one might ask, why added the country contained both states and territories from the start? Hadn't the borders been in motion since the Louisiana Purchase? Look up the Louisiana Purchase. Because that's going to break half of that slavery shit out of the water. How was it uh, slavery in 50 states when, before the Louisiana Purchase, half of the damn country wasn't a part of this United States Constitution? I.e., United. United country. Why were there na new names needed only now? It's true, because remember, this is going to be the freeing of the slaves and letting these indigenous people back out onto their land. So now we got to make it seem like they're foreign to their own land. So we change the map, we change the names, we change the people. That's why we're the only people in history that got five or six different names to identify. We still can't figure it out. It's true that the United States has been annexing territory for nearly a century, still in the empire. But there was something different about the post-1898 acquisition. It wasn't the land, it was the people who lived on it. Looking back on the years before 1898, one sees a pattern. Though the United States has rapidly annexed new territory, it had rarely incorporated large non-white population. Hey, attention, because they're talking about melanated people that were later declassified as Negro, Black, and color, that they earlier called the American Indians. Then they made a deal with the so-called mixed Mongolian tribes to become the Native Americans. So they would be the only sole people left on the land. They treaties with them, gave them some reservations and some Indian casinos, and then they became the original inhabitants, and then you became a visitor from nowhere Africa. And when I say nowhere Africa, because you don't know what part of Africa you came from. It's just the nation. 
why don't you know which part you were taking? Looking back on the years before 1898, one sees a pattern. Though the United States had rapidly annexed new territory, it had rarely incorporated large non-white populations. Louisiana, Florida, Oregon, Texas, and the Mexican secession. These added a lot of area to the country, but only but only related related relative to uh, uh, me, only relatively small foreign populations. Native Americans mainly, but also Mexicans, Spaniards, French, and in the case of Louisiana, free blacks. Free blacks? So why they got our people in Louisiana thinking that they were slaves for 400 years? All these people was free. What's going on? They start changing the name of the people once they stole the goddamn land and renamed it. Never wonder why they, they did all that shit in Katrina. They, they forced the levees to break because they was trying to wipe out all those indigenous people. Look at all the people that never went back to rebuild Louisiana. They never gave them the money. FEMA ran off with the bag. The, the fucking Red Cross ran off with the bag. They got billions in donations and none of that shit went to our people. They don't want to talk about it. What happened during Katrina? They called the people refugees. Refugees? Well, I thought you was an American citizen, a U.S. citizen, or whatever name they want to throw on you. You were a refugee seeking asylum. Kind of like these people flooding into America right now, jumping the borders. Seeking asylum, but remember, as Martin Luther King said, the Negro finds himself in exile in his own land, kicked out his own land. This is where the fraud started happening. Once they got claim to the empire, man, we can't tell the people to stay land. Let's just rename these niggas. Tell them they from somewhere else. They're business. Powerful, man. Louisiana, Florida, Oregon, Texas, and the Mexican secession, those added a lot of area to the country, but only relatively small foreign population. Native Americans mainly, they're talking about American Indians, they're talking about your people, just a different name, all indigenous people, but they separated them in all these different group names. Mainly, but also Mexican, Spaniards, French, and, and the case of Louisiana, because remember, before they had Spaniards, the land wasn't called Spain. Those people that invaded the land, called our land loose, and was ran by the Moors for 800 years, now became Spaniards and Spanish-speaking people. And now you think they're a different group of people. But they stole the land from the indigenous Our And in this case of Louisiana, free blacks. Before 1898, the largest population bump from the annexation came from the land uh, wrested from Mexico including Texas. Texas has one of the largest states, the largest country. Texas is so large, it has its own embassy. And what has what country has embassies? Large country. But remember, each of the states are their own country. That's why every state has their own constitution. Including Texas between 1845 and 1853. Yet as, a bump, as bumps go, it wasn't much. While those um, accession enlarged the country's area by 69. So before that, the country was less than 69% in size. 
So how were they practicing theory on all of the mic? And they were just filling the land from three feet. And then later told them that they were former slaves and had nothing. See, if I keep giving you this reference point that you came from slaves and that's all you were, you're going to keep overlooking your grace. You're not going to want to fight for the claim of the land. You're going to keep trying to fight to get back to Africa. But why you ain't went back? You got your tax money. Why you ain't went back to Wakanda then, my nigga? And there's a, <laughs> there's a land in Wakanda in America. And in fact, all of the actors that played in the movie Wakanda, they were American, the indigenous people that were pretending to be African, you know, with funny African accent in the movie. But all of the actors are American actors. But you still ain't figured it out. They used to call you an Afro-American. In the 70s, we used to rock our Afro in our natural state because we were the indigenous Americans. Huh? Then they called you Negro-American, colored American, African-American. All of that should take you from the claim While those accessions enlarged the country's area by 69%, the accompanying Indians and Mexicans increased its population by less than 1.5% over eight years. In the demographically explosive United States, where the population was already growing a more than 3% a year, the small influx was easily diluted a sprinkler and a rainstorm. This was no incident. The Mexican War of 1846 and 48. See, in the Mexican-American War, they was fighting indigenous people. You keep thinking, oh, they was fighting some people from Mexico. They was fighting other native people. And if you go to Mexico and you go to those countries, you go to those those uh, country towns and, and in them counties, the old counties, aside from the tourism attractions, you won't find darkness like the melanated people. This was no accident. The Mexican War of 1846 and 48 ended with U.S. forces occupying Mexico City. Some in Congress proposed taking all of Mexico. From a military perspective, that was entirely feasible. But South Carolina, Senator John uh, C. Calhoun, one of the nation's uh, prime defenders of slavery, objected. He was never dreamt of incorporating, he never dreamt of incorporating into the union, any but the Caucasian race, the free white race, he insisted on the Senate floor. Are we to associate with ourselves as equals, companions and fellow citizens, the Indians and mixed races of Mexico? Mixed races of Mexico? But they're all talking about melanated people. So they came here, carved up the empire of indigenous people and said, we don't want nothing to do with none of these indigenous people. So they created this term white and this classification of white and who, who was white and who wasn't. But it all ties to a free white person by definition of the legal dictionaries. It refers to a property owner, one who has the right to vote. Everything tied to your ownership and claim to the land. Joe Guinness, Joe Guinness, the right by blood. Terror, right by land. Claim to the land by bloodline. Apparently not. The United States annexed the thinly populated northern part of Mexico, including present-day California. Right? That was all part of so-called Mexico, the Mexican Empire. But we're talking about 
the Moorish Empire, Utah, New Mexico, and Arizona, but let the, popul the populist southern part go. This carefully drawn border gave the United States, as one newspaper put it, all the territory of value that, would, that we can get without taking the peace. See, they wanted to lay claim to the land without claiming the peace. We gotta reclassify these niggas as something else other than the indigenous people already on the land. A few wish to go farther. Some pro-slavery advocates worry that the booming white settler population might crowd out slavery, sought room for their way of life further south. They staged a series of filibusters, private invasions of Latin America republics, Latin America republics, or empire, that they hoped would lead to annexation. The most dramatic was William Walker's invasion of Nicaragua in 1855, which improperly propelled Walker briefly to the Nicaraguan presidency. But Walker was disappointed and in 1860 executed. Washington uh, didn't back him, nor did it support the other filibusters. The problem wasn't the men like Walter wanted to expand slavery. The problem was they wanted to do so by bringing more Latin Americans into the union. Combine a Republican uh, commitment to equality from an accompanying commitment to white supremacy. I stop there. You play this back, a lot of this stuff is going to start snapping place. And you start to wipe away this illusion, illusionary story that's formed in the slavery shit that they perpetrated on our site. You start to see why they keep investing in slave movies to keep me in a state of suspended animation so when you can't get your consciousness back. And you just angry and you stay in a victim state and you just keep talking about your oppression, but you never really putting the finger on the actual person talking about this government at large, this administration. These are the people that have to make shit right. Man, this shit is powerful. This, this book, please add this to your library, guys. Uh, I'm going to go around to a few more sections and then I'll close up. Man, they, they, they got a picture of Martin Luther King in this book, man. Again, as I said, bro, bro was against the, the wars, man. Um, the king was against those wars, man. And they can have that. They can have people coming together trying to liberate themselves. We can have that. Martin Luther King wearing a Hawaiian leg on his historic march from Selma to Montgomery in 1965. King has visited Hawaii, which he regarded as a Parogen, excuse me, a patron of racial harmony. Thus opens a front in the war of civil rights that rarely gets mentioned. Racial liberals supported statehood, pointing to Hawaii, especially as proof that integration worked. The champions of Jim Crow, meanwhile, replayed the greatest hits of 1900, rallying the old imperialist rhetoric in defense of their precarious position. Uh, arch, arch segregationist Strom Thurmond, Strom Thurmond, one of the longest serving congressmen in the country's history, lectured his colleagues 
on the impassable difference between Western civilization and East and West. East is East, West is West. And never twain shall meet. Never the two shall meet. The admonished quoting capital. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, they want to keep that gangbanging going. Southern opposition, uh, staining uh, Hawaiian and Alaskan statehood through the 40s and 50s. Remember, around this time, Alaska was trying to be a state of the union and Hawaii, it wasn't like they were trying. They were stealing the land from the indigenous people and making it now a part of the union. Just adding on to the map. Southern opposition, uh, staining Hawaiian and Alaskan statehood through the 40s and 50s, but it could not hold out forever. Well known among the civil rights movements, triumph are the desegregation of schools, one in uh, Brown versus the Board of Education in 1954, and the prohibition of racial discrimination at the polls, secured by the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Let's count it. You got to pay attention. The international community, the rest of the world, they were in awe about the civil rights movement. When they see melanated people stand up, we reminded them of the power that we all have when we stand up together. See, the threat in the 60s, it wasn't that all these niggas is marching, they protesting, they not gonna get on the bus, all this shit they keep telling the black history month. What they feared was the union. That's why today they got these stage protests where it ain't no fucking union. Just a crowd, a bunch of people shouting shit with a bunch of signs but nothing gets done. When they was marching in the 60s, they was about that action. But if you still marching in the 2020s, Somebody's pushing some bullshit. Somebody's pushing propaganda. That's why you can have organizations like Black Lives Matter and they get 60 million in donations from these slave, slavery-funded corporations like Cadillac and they run off with the 60 million and nobody's back to run. The laws are changed. People still getting run down in the street because they still got you fighting under this identity that doesn't exist. Look up the word color. They keep saying you're people of color. Look up the word color in a law dictionary. Not no regular school shit. A law dictionary. Color. The assemblance of. Assembly of clones. That which appears to be but not real in reality. A deceptive appearance. A disguise. See what's going on? Not really a piece. So when I shoot a so-called black person, you gotta look at the paper. You wanna call it police brutality. When that's not a legal time in anybody's book. That's not a fucking crime. Murder's murder, my G. But when it comes to us and it comes to these people, they got a questionable identity, they can keep saying we gotta look at the tape. But what did that nigga do? The cop feared for his life. That's gonna keep that. Until you get back to your indigenous identity of being the true inhabitants of this land. Very first of Don't be caught up in the word, man. Don't be caught up in the word because now you, oh, I ain't an American. I'm a, a black African and it. Yeah, all right, homie. Okay, homie. How's that working out for you? When you fly to Africa, your passport says you an American. And those tourists in Africa, and those people in Africa treat you like a tourist from America. They think we all got that. They don't say, my African brother, welcome home. Welcome to Wakanda. Nah, buddy. They looking like all oh, you niggas in America got the back. You better wake up, man. Why do you think they're all imitating these groups of people in America? Why do you think hip hop influenced the goddamn planet? Because we always influence the planet. For racists, 
they spelled uh, catastrophe, the beginning of the end of the United States as we know it. As Nicholas Murray Butler had put it, in a way, Butler's uh, prediction turned out to be right. Alaska sent to the Senate Ernest uh, Gergen, who had made a decades-long career of opposing racism and imperialism. In 1964, Gergen achieved national fame as one of the only two congressmen out of 560 voting to oppose the Gulf of Tonkin resolution that led to the direct U.S. entry into the Vietnam War. Talk about it. We're all talking about carving up empire. And most of our people, we protested against the Vietnam War. Martin Luther King said, I'm not going to go fight one oppressed people and we oppress people here. That shit don't make no sense. Then he cut his mic off. Oh, no, this nigga, you ain't supposed to say that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, Google Martin Luther King's last piece. And that brother was sounding just like Malcolm. Hawaii, for its part, immediately elected non-white congressman uh, Hiram Fong to the uh, state, to the Senate, and Daniel Inugi, the uh, veteran of the fabled four, uh, 402nd uh, Infantry Regiment, to the House. Fong was the first Chinese American to serve in the Senate. Inugi was the first Japanese American to serve in Congress. All melanated people we talk about. Man, this is powerful, man. We just gonna stop there, man. We gonna stop there, man. Uh, man, I, I encourage everyone to add this to their library. But I want to uh, qualify uh, the Filipinos. Filipinos like uh, Anugadin were pleased to see the United States finally out. And it wasn't hard to understand why. Even those in the U.S. stronghold of the Corregidor had ample cause of resentment. As a young man, Manel Kuzan had languished for four months in a U.S. prison without ever facing charges. Right? That's even a lot of people they got in Guantanamo Bay. Niggas is on trumped up charges. They got a lot of melanated people there too. The attention to what's going on over there. That's why they created that fake terrorism shit. How is it people that uh, practice terrorism and stole countries and land all across through history? And then they're the, the sole authority or experts on who's a terrorist and who is. Crazy shit, ain't it? Japan latched on to the bitterness of the colonists. Japanese uh, propagandists remained reminded Filipinos of the United States' long history of empire, uh, starting with the disposition of North America, North American Indians, and moving through the Mexican War. The annexation of the Spanish colonies Moorish colonies and the Philippine War, right up to the scorched earth policy adopted in the face of the Japanese invasion. America has wasted your funds in the creation of grand boulevards and exclusive mountain resorts. One Japanese writer added, gleefully rubbing salt into the wounds inflicted in the era of Daniel Burnham. Jap uh, Japan had something different to offer. To offer. Asia for the Asiatics. That's what Ali said, we are the Asiatic race. Asia for the Asiatics. That slogan may sound banal today, but for a region long colonized, it was a powerful revolutionary idea. Even uh, Rolumbo conceived it that it was morally unassailable. Yet white powers would never allow Asian independence like they won't allow our independence. The Japanese insisted. 
it had had to be seized. Emperor Hiroshima claimed that the war's origin lay in the past, in the peace treaty after World War I, when Woodrow Wilson had blocked Japan's attempt to introduce racial equality into the League of Nations recovery. So they were beefing with Japan because they were talking about racial equality. The same shit we were talking about with the West. So you find out that people that colonize your land, they don't want to treat you equal on your goddamn land. But they lay claim to it. Nerve and the arrogance. It's got to qualify this for history, guys. So we're going to close out with a few more quotes, right? I want to add footnotes to the story. And man, just look up the morals, right? Now, Sataka, uh, Sataka Takashi, right? I don't want to butcher the names, man. Sataka uh, Takashi and the flowering of black messianic nationalism. Powerful peace. I'm just going to read an excerpt. In the late September 1942, in a series of highly publicized raids, federal agents in Chicago arrested 85 African Americans. Three women and nine men were charged with sedition, and the remainder were accused of draft invasion. Pay attention to this. Remember, they were trying to get our people to fight in the Vietnam War. But we were not fighting other indigenous people, other oppressed people, because we're being oppressed. In the late September of 1942, in a series of highly publicized raids, federal agents in Chicago arrested 85 African Americans. Three women and nine men were charged with sedition, and the remainder were accused of draft invasion. Indicted on the former charges were Elijah Muhammad founder of the nation of Islam. Hmm, Elijah Muhammad was protesting against the Vietnam War. Remember, we're all talking about unifying indigenous people. They don't want that. Elijah Muhammad, Len Kareem, and uh, Pauline Beheer of the Allah Temple of Islam. See, before it was called the nation of Islam, it was called the Allah Temple of Islam. And they later created that to where the Moorish Science Temple and the Nation of Islam is now two different entities and they're both infiltrated by the FBI because they don't want the people to unify. So it looks like we all are reading from different books when it's all our culture. You gotta understand this divide and conquer, get down the lay down strategy they pushed on all indigenous people. The Allah Temple of Islam. Maddie Maud, uh, Maddie Maud, Lena Gordon, uh, Sean Jones, William Gordon, and David J. Logan of the Peace Movement of Ethiopia, PME. Charles, look, all of these organizations we started, but we was all unifying under the banner of liberation. Charles Newby, AKA Father Divine Hassan of the Colored American National Organization. Stokey uh, Damar Hart, James Graves, and Annabella Moore. We had sisters in the movement. They, sisters knew, we knew who our oppressor was. And we always unified to stop our oppression collectively. That's what they fear. Us finding the commonality and getting it popular. We ain't got to do it with violence. We just got to unify and set up for ourselves. And Annabella Moore, 
of the Brotherhood of Liberty for the Black people of America. We had all of these groups that all had the same goal, freedom, liberation. And Frederick H. H. Hammurabi, Rob, uh, Rabbi of the Center Service Exchange. Several days earlier, five members of the Ethiopian Pacific Movement, EPM, Robert O. Jordan, AKA uh, Leonard Robert Jordan, James Thornhill, Lester Holness, and the Reverend Ralph Green, yeah, reverends in it, Beth and Joseph uh, Hartree, an Irishman, were indicted in New York City on the more serious charges. Less raunchy, raunchiously, back in May, Minister David X, aka David Jones and David Duvon, and Sultan Muhammad of the ATOIs Washington and Milwaukee temples, respectively, were detained on charges of sedition as well. In October, the head of the International uh, reassemble of the Church of Freedom League, the IRCFL, the Reverend uh, Ethelbert A. Broster uh, was arrested in New Orleans. The following January, see, they were rounding up all of our leaders in all of these different groups. So we had different groups and, you know, different viewpoints, but when it all came together, we all were talking about universal liberation from our colonization. The following, a second round of indictments occurred in East St. Louis, all across the country, where Bishop David D. Irwin and General Lee Butler, two leaders, because they wouldn't have won that Vietnam War if they didn't have our people in this. So they were forcing people into the draft. Lee Butler, two leaders of the Pacific Movement of Eastern World uh, PMEW, were also charged with crimes against the state. Crimes against the state, because you didn't want to fight another oppressed people? Arrogancy. In, in North, seven members of the House of Israel. See, all these organizations we had, but we all were talking about unifying. Unified against being against that war. The House of Israel, HOI, Brother Roots, so we got Muslims, we got Hebrews. We got so-called black nationalists all coming together as one voice. That's what they fear. Brother Reuben uh, Israel, a.k.a. Ashku Thomas, Alfred Woods, uh, Isaiah Cole, Robert Moses, Oscar Rumbler, Dorothy Johnson, and Jeremiah Artis were seized as brass invaders. There, remember, they, they, they tried to, they stripped the title from Muhammad Ali. Remember, and they was trying to force him into the draft. He's a, he's a world champion. Like, y'all couldn't find other people? Nah, nah, we're going to send you the war. Because it was about principle. And he said, fuck that title. I ain't going to war. I'm not fighting no other oppressed indigenous people. And in fact, Martin Luther King, I mean, uh, Muhammad Ali, did you know when he came back from the Olympics, he threw his gold medal in the war? Because he said, how is it that I got treated better abroad and I come back home and I don't feel like a champion? He threw his gold medal in the river. Because when he came home, they still treated him like a nigga. Barbs. That's for my upcoming project. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm an MC too. But we'll put a pin in that. There has been earlier, as well as a subsequent arrest for draft evasion too, including the roundup of 12 members of the Kansas City branch of the Moorish Science Temple of America. You got all of these organizations representing our people all together. 
together coming together to form a fist. That black power fist that you keep seeing, that represents the unity of all our different organizations. We gotta put our petty nigga differences aside and talk about unifying under true liberation, true freedom, true manifest destiny for our babies. Not no hashtag shit. Not no fake, I'm a protester on YouTube. Not that kind of shit. True boots on the ground liberation. And they round up 12 members of the Kansas City branch of the Morris Science Temple of America in July of 1942. These accusations against outspoken African-Americans, outspoken African-Americans, opponents of World War II involved violations of the Espionage Act of 1970. So because our people said we're not going to fight a war against oppressed people when you haven't addressed our oppression here by the same oppressors that's trying to send us to war, they was, they came up with something called the Espionage Act. So you don't want to fight these Vietnamese niggas, you must be working with the Vietnamese. That's where the communists, oh you a commie, right? You conspire with Russia, they got all these same tactics they keep talking about. Anytime you talk about liberation and freedom, they align you with being a communist, terrorist. When these niggas that created the terms know all about terrorism, that's how they give it up. In July 1942, these accusations against outspoken African-American opponents of World War II involved violations of the Espionage Act of 1970 and the Selective Training and Service Act of 1940. More to the point, in the eyes of the government, the pro-Japanese loyalists of the defendants in the above case uh, constituted a threat to national security because we was trying to unify with other oppressed indigenous people. So anytime we get together and start talking about so-called black nationalism and we gotta do for ourselves, we are a threat to national security. That's why they infiltrated all of our groups, the Moore Science Temple of America, the Nation of Islam, the Black Panthers, they infiltrated all those clubs and watered down the real power. More to the point, in the eyes of the government, the pro-Japanese loyalists, they called us for not wanting to be in a senseless war, a bullshit war, just like the war in Iraq was bullshit, because it wasn't about no weapons of mass destruction. Them niggas were looking for the gold, and they were looking for the opium. When, when they got into the Iraqi war, 90% of the dope that, that, that came into the United States was coming directly from Iraq. You don't say. So y'all was coming to, to either become drug dealers or become pushers of democracy, which is one and the same, my niggas. The pro-Japanese loyalists of the defendants in the case above constituted a threat to national security. Indeed, the reports remarked Remarks of an ATOI member appear to give substance to such concerns. The white devils desire the colored people to die with them in the army and navy. We don't want to be with them in the army or out. The time has come when the white devils will be destroyed by dark mankind. The eagle seen on United States money and the uniforms of the servicemen is the mark of the beast. And if you have that mark, the Japanese are going to shoot at it when they come here. <laughs> this was the ideology of the brothers at the time though, but they was militant. But but they wasn't getting off of their position. So salute to those ancestors of old, man. The best known today of the uh, all above, the Allah Temple of Islam. We'll stop there.
to qualify some of these powerful history, man. He got a man who we're connected to and what our real story is. I want us to start digging deeper into the so-called slavery story because you're going to unravel that more of the people were free than not. That's not to negate that your people didn't become prisoners of war, forced into fraudulent fucking contracts that were enforced by this government. We keep looking at slavery as a separate institution from the government itself when the government produced laws that enforced slavery. Perpetrated, kept it going. And the government itself cashed in on the thing. That's why we gotta have that reparation conversation. And fuck that, more than the conversation, that's why they hold. That's why we gonna get that 40 acres with interest, my G. And I'm not stopping. I'm going to make it my life's work to qualify this scholarship until we can articulately put together this conversation to where we ain't talking about nothing else but that. We ain't talking about a handout, my nigga. No, oh, oh, my ancestors. Damn sure, my baby. The descendants of these ancestors. Now, that's one thing as a people we all can unify. We ain't talking about no violence. We talking about making it right. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. We are those Christ-like beings that return to judge this bullshit that happened to our ancestors. But we gotta research the story. We can't just stay in a state of suspended animation, staying angry about what happened to us. Angry at another slave movie where we keep going to go see the shit. We gotta unravel the liars and those pushing the damn lie. And a lot of them are our own people that just want 30 pieces of silver back. Cause it's better to be a shiny slave I got Gucci shackles. I got Gucci shackles. Does that make them more wearable? Yeah, all right. I'm going to close on that note, man. I do got a musical project uh, I'm putting out this summer, man. Powerful, powerful install. And it's, and it's to revive this culture that we love called hip-hop. Hip-hop in its truest form. And it's going directly to the people. Fuck these ladies. You heard? We ripping these labels off. You feel me? We ripping these labels off like we shoplifting. You feel me? Because the property owners always labeled their property. Right. We ain't rocking with none of them labels. We taking it back to independence and we giving it straight to the people. We cutting out the middleman. Straight to consumer. This is the 40 day. Nope. The 40-Day Grand Ascension is also a series on my podcast. Please check it out. So this is another installment of the Book Report series. And this book we just went over, How to Hide an Empire, The History of the Greater United States, by Daniel and Moir. Add this to your library. This is the Third Eye High Podcast. I am your host, J.F. Bay. And I'm just here to shine my light your way to help you find your light switch and keep your light lit. And at Third Eye High, we deal with a higher consciousness of a flyer culture. I give thanks for everyone tuning in. I could not do this without you. You spent your most valuable currency. You paid attention. I give thanks. Thanks for your donation. You can share the podcast. That's the You can subscribe to the podcast, Third Eye High, on all podcast streaming platforms. That's a donation. You want to send a monetary donation, hit my cash app, dollar sign, Far Outflow, F-A-R-O-U-T-F-L-O-W, dollar sign Far Outflow with the catch app. But as I said, you already done got the game. 
You can run off with the jewels. You know what I'm saying? I already dropped jewels. You got them. Either way, I'm compensated. I just think. Want to shout out some of my listeners as we close out. Michael J, thanks for tuning in, bro. Uh, Felicia, you got to follow for follow, sister. Thank you for tuning in. Zen Master, follow for follow. Bobby Duncan, follow for follow. Uh, Lois Hampton, you got to follow. Lois Hampton, follow for follow. Uh, Zena, you got to follow, my G. Uh, Just a Man Podcast, thanks for tuning in. Mr. Two Extra, uh, Perceptions Today, thanks for tuning in. You got to follow for follow. Dr. Robert, thank you for always tuning in. My brother, salute. Greg Diggs, follow for follow. Uh, Zach Garcia, follow for follow. My brother, thank you for tuning in. Dana Whitmore, follow for follow. Uh, Bobby, thank you for tuning in. My brother, follow for follow. Uh, Talking uh, Under the Influence, thank you for tuning in. Follow for follow. Uh, Lisa, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Ricky, thank you for tuning in, sir. Uh, Smith James, follow for follow. Miranda May, thank you for tuning in, sister. Uh, Scott Markowitz, thank you for tuning in, sir. You got to follow for follow. Uh, Cecilia Grace, thank you for always tuning in, sister, and I will be catching some of your thoughts. Uh, Mojo, Reggie Woods, Woodson, thank you for tuning in. Robert, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Anna Hartalk, Hartalk, thank you for tuning in. Uh, That's my faith. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Royce Bottoms. Lady Storm, thank you for tuning in, sister. Spacey, thank you for tuning in. Brian uh, Hoblor, uh, Sean GTR, Dan, Martin John, Doobie, thank you for tuning in. OPN, Ishmael, Lifting, Jesus Up, salute my brother. All praise be to the Most High. Will Morales, thank you for tuning in. Jessica Stevenson, Kenyatta Gardner, uh, Danielle. Uh, Wendy, thank you for tuning in. Curtis James, thank you for tuning in. Uh, follow for follow. Uh, Kayla Pravius, thank you for tuning in. Andrew Johnson, follow for follow. Thank you for tuning in, bro. Dr. Wild, thank you for always tuning in, my brother. Richard Big Ox, follow for follow, my brother. Salute to everyone listening to the podcast at large. And as I said, this is the Third Eye High podcast. Where we deal with a higher consciousness of a flyer culture. I am your host, J.M. Bank. I'm just here to shine my light your way to help you find the light switch to keep your light lit. And always remember, keep your third eye out. Peace, love, or life.